Good morning, Hag Sameach Pesach. Welcome to our uh, fifth day, Kol Hamoed Pesach. This is the fifth day of uh, Pesach. And so hopefully you're having a great holiday. You're enjoying all the wonderful matzah, all the wonderful uh, meals. Hopefully you're experiencing with matzah. Last night we had a great dinner. It was uh, salmon, in case you're wondering. But the night before that, Rebetzin made amazing uh, matzah pizza. It was very, very good, actually. And so kind of uh, thinking we might have that again, hopefully. Hint, hint, honey, I'm requesting. Just I'm saying. But anyway, it was good. It was good. <laughs> hopefully you're having a good day. We're having a good uh, holiday. We performed the first half of a very, very important mitzvah last night. A very important mitzvah. Uh, for the holiday of Pesach. We watched the first half in Blu-ray, of course, the movie The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. A very important mitzvah for the holiday of Pesach. Of course, I'm kidding. But it is a good movie, actually. And uh, in that movie, they bring down things from Philo, from uh, Josephus, and, and from the Midrash. And so you're watching uh, the Ten Commandments movie, and you're wondering how come this stuff is not lining up with what's in the Bible. It's because it comes from the Midrash and other sources. And as many times as I've seen that movie, uh, we're watching it last night, fulfilling a mitzvah. And, uh, and uh, I, there's a scene in there where Moshe comes and kneels down before Pharaoh and is talking about his triumphs against Ethiopia. And there's a statement in there that Pharaoh makes, how he's heard how he conquered the serpents in the, in the desert and, uh, and the way in which he did that. And it's just a very brief statement. And I'm sitting there watching last night. And I realized, oh my goodness, that is in the Midrash. I, I missed that. And there's a statement about some, some poisonous serpents that were sent against Moses' army because he was leading the armies of Egypt against the Ethiopia. And there's a, uh, a very interesting way in which he defeated those serpents. I don't, off the top of my head, I don't, I don't remember the entire story. Uh, I'd have to go back and find the reference and read it again. But I do recall that there was some, uh, and this is going to sound wild, I know, but listen, uh, Sometimes what we find in the Bible and Jewish sources is stranger than fiction, but there was some discussion in there that maybe Moses had used somehow by the hand of God, some kind of supernatural way, pterodactyls. I know it sounds crazy, but um, anyway, I just want to mention it. It's an interesting story, but they, they put it in the movie. I couldn't believe it. I was sitting there watching, sitting there uh, enjoying that. So Baruch Hashem. Um, maybe at some point I'll be able to dig that source out and, and find it, uh, in my spare time. Ha ha ha. But anyway, all right. Today's reading, uh, is from the book of Shemot. <clears throat> it is my, this is arguably my first or second favorite reading of the entire Torah. And I'm not just making that up. Uh, this is from the book of Exodus, chapter 34, verses 1 through 26. So we're going to turn there. My two favorite Torah passages, I would have to say, are Exodus 19, 1, uh, 1 through 6, and then this passage in Exodus chapter 34 we're about to read. And so that's going to be on your uh, conversion test when you come before the Beit Din. They're going to ask you, what are the rabbi's two favorite readings in the entire Torah? You're going to have to know that, so write it down. 
I'm just kidding. That's not, that's not, we don't ask the questions. <laughs> we don't ask those kind of questions. But um, chapter 34, this is where Moses, I'm just in a good mood. Can you tell? Brugashen. I should always be in a good mood, right? We should always be in good moods. Why? Because good things are bad things. It's all because of hand of God anyway, right? All right. So <clears throat> chapter 34. This is where Moshe is desiring and asking. He's already asked Hashem to show him his glory. And what I love about this is that, um, look at that, this box of Yehuda Matzah. I just realized on the screen you can see it. Look at that. We're going to put that out of the way. We don't need to see an open box of <laughs> Yehuda Matzah. Uh, but anyway, he's asking God to show me your glory. And... Uh, He's going to show him his glory. And as I've said countless times about this passage, many times people think about the glory of God. They think about the miracles. They think about the um, lightning, the thunder. And that's not the glory of God. The glory of God are his attributes. And it's so wonderful because remember that we are going to, or we're supposed to mimic God. Yeshua said, greater works than these than these you shall do. And so when people hear that, they think, oh my goodness, I'm going to lay hands on the sick. I'm going to watch dead people rise from the grave. I'm going to uh, walk on water. Has anybody ever walked on water? I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, I'm not saying that there aren't, that we don't have, um, that God hasn't given us the opportunity and, and power, you might say, to do great miracles and affect things like that. Um, but I, the greater works are reflecting his glory. The greatest miracle you can perform, for instance, is to be merciful. The way in which you walk on water is to be compassionate. The way in which you tell the mountain to be removed is to be kind. See, this is what sometimes we don't understand. This is the glory of God. So it says in, in chapter 34, verse 1, if you are in the art school Chumash, we are going to be on page 507. It says, Hashem said to Moses, carve for yourself two stone tablets like the first one. So this is now the second set of tablets, the renewed covenant. And I shall inscribe on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you shattered. Be prepared in the morning, ascend to Mount Sinai in the morning, and stand by me there on the mountaintop. By the way, in the Midrash Tankuma to this passage, um, asked the question, I believe, I forget which rabbi it was that was asking um, the question, why did Moses break the uh, tablets? And there are several answers for that, but one of the answers given in Midrash Tankuma is that he used the, a Kalvachomer argument. He said, and he said, if the Pesach lamb, which was a single mitzvah, was not to be given over to idolaters, then the Torah, which of course contains many hundreds of mitzvot, certainly should not be handed over to idolaters, meaning the Jews who are dancing around golden calf. So he broke the tablets. In effect, the Midrash Tankuma is making connection between the Pesach lamb and the Torah. Verse 3, 
No man may ascend with you, nor may anyone be seen on the entire mountain. Even the flock and the cattle may not graze facing that mountain. So he carved out two stone tablets like the first ones. Now, interesting side note. The first tablets were all God-made. They were Echo and Shemayim. These were Echo in uh, Sinai by Moses. So the first tablets, they both contain the same information, but one was divine, completely divine. The other was man-made. Interesting to note that the man-made tablets don't get us into the redemption. The sages say that we're waiting for the divine tablets to be restored and only Mashiach can do that in order to bring about the redemption. Man-made tablets can't make it happen. Note to self. So he carved out two stone tablets like the first one. Moshe arose early in the morning and ascended to Mount Sinai as Adonai had commanded him and he took two stone tablets in his hand. Adonai descended in a cloud and stood with him there, and he called out the name of Adonai. Now, it's interesting to note that he's standing here in the cleft of the rock, of course, and he's standing there with the stone tablets, the renewed covenant. Now, this is kind of an illustration for us because I've taught on the cleft of the rock and how it corresponds, the, the very words themselves correspond to the the nail holes, that's what the word cleft means. It means like a nail hole. Like we're standing in Mashiach. Because remember, Mashiach is, is the rock. The rock upon which or in which Moses is standing is the rock that brought forth the water in the wilderness, which means that this rock is Mashiach. So if we want to see God's glory, if we want to experience all of his attributes then we have to be standing in Messiah, right? Or upon Messiah, however you want to word it. The answer is, yes, that's true. We Okay, right. But what are we holding? What do we have in our hand? The answer is God's holy, renewed covenant, the Torah. So, we continue on. Adonai descended in a cloud and stood with him there, and he called out to the name Adonai. Verse 6, Adonai passed before him and proclaimed, Adonai, Adonai, God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in kindness and truth, preserver of kindness for thousands of generations, forgiver of iniquity, willful sin and error, and who cleanses, but does not cleanse completely, recalling the iniquity of parents upon children and grandchildren, to the third and fourth generation. Now, in the Midrash it states that Hashem came down and he, he appeared, he manifested. Hello, is this, can y'all hear me? He manifested as in the appearance of a chazan. Probably a, a Hispanic chazan, I'm guessing. And he was wearing a tallit. And he was wearing uh, tefillin. And uh, he demonstrated to Moses how to recite these 13 attributes. Remember, 13 is a number for Ahava. And uh, in order to show Moses how he or anyone can affect 
God's forgiveness. So I just want to repeat what the Midrash says. It says he appeared in the form of a chazan. A chazan is a cantor, a man, wearing a tallit and demonstrating to him how to, to recite these attributes. When it comes to forgiveness, note, aside from that th amazing thing I just said and caused you to go blue screen for a second, but now come back, reboot. Did, did not say that when it comes time to earn forgiveness or, or receive forgiveness, to recite all of your mitzvot. To recite the divine name over and over again. To chant it like some kind of yoga thing, which is not proper. No, it says to call upon my attributes. This is exactly what Avraham did. Avraham reminded God of his compassion and so on. So the name Hashem, it says here, denotes mercy. It appears twice because it refers to different, two different kinds of mercy. The first is that God is merciful be, before a person sins, even though he knows that the future evil lies dormant in that person. Or Hahayim claims that God is merciful even to people who, while they may not have committed sins, have not earned his mercy with good deeds. So his mercy is proactive. His mercy overtakes us when we're before we've even done anything because he knows that we have within us the potential to sin. His mercy conquers the potential of sin in our life. So the second Hashem, which is the divine name Yudke Vavke, the second mention of his name denotes that even after someone has sinned, God mercifully accepts his repentance. Without divine mercy, a sin could not simply disappear from the scales of justice merely because a sinner has repented. Just as an assailant cannot free himself from paying for damages merely because he regrets what he did. So the, this blows out of the water in case we needed something else to blow it out of the water. The whole false straw man theology of grace versus law. We have right here in the middle of the Torah an example that we depend upon God's mercy because even if we repent, even if we regret, even if we say I'm sorry, there is nothing to remove the punishment except for God's mercy. That's the long and short of it. So the next uh, attribute mentioned is God, El. The name denotes power. In the context of the attributes, it implies a degree of mercy that surpasses even that indicated by the name Adonai. Now I want to stop here in just for a second. Because for those because people join us from all walks of life. Okay? Some of you people who are watching here have been in the Hebrew Roots cult or the Sacred Name cult. Particularly in the Sacred Name cult, one of the things they they, I mean, it's like it's like a sin if you say God or Lord, which is absurd. And they try to say that the 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 name of God, God, is some type of pagan Hasvishalom name. But I want you to see how cunning and how evil and how wicked and how deceiving Hasatan, which which is the spirit behind the that that whole uh, theology. How cunning he is, because by removing the name God, you are removing the, the third and most powerful name of mercy within Hashem. 
Wow. If that doesn't give chills up and down your spine, I don't, you need to go see a physician. The third attribute is compassionate. Rachum. We say harachaman when we're saying blessings for the Birkat Amazon. God eases the punishment of the guilty and does not put people into extreme temptation. He is compassionate and that he helps people avoid distress. God helps us. For those of us who are in covenant with him, he helps us not to sin. He helps us to avoid sin. And gracious, vechanun, he is gracious even to the undeserving. He saves people from distress once it has overtaken them. So even if we do fall into temptation, we're not deserving of his love. We're not deserving of his help. He still is gracious to us. Slow to anger. It says, with both the righteous and the wicked, God is patient. Instead of pushing sinners in immediately, he gives them time to reflect, improve, and repent. And, an, and it says, abundant in kindness. He is kind even to those who lack personal merits. Again, so much for the grace versus law or uh, Jews believe in working for their salvation. The understanding is, is that no matter how many merits we achieve, it's still not enough to pay the bill. We're still dependent upon God, God's kindness. It says also, if one's personal behavior is evenly balanced between virtue and sin, God tips the scales of judgment towards the good. So, as, as it says in another place, uh, it, God puts his finger on the scale of justice with respect to your favor and pushes down on the scale. If, if, if he's looking at the scale, if you're, if you're in the balance and he's looking at the scale and things are starting to tip over in the not so good category, God walks over there and just puts his finger on the scale and pushes down and says, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and take care of that. It's amazing. Ve'emet, or as our Ashkenazi friends say, ve'emes, and truth. God never reneges on his word to reward those who serve him. You know, did you hear what I just said? That here in the Odd Scrolls, it's understanding ve'emet and truth to mean God's truth means God never reneges on his word to reward those who serve him. Him. Now, couple that with what Yeshua said when he was praying in, I believe it was Yochanan 15, or no, was it 17? Anyway, in Yochanan, <laughs> he said, sanctify them by your truth. And he said, your word is truth. Now, Couple that with this, where he says, sanctify them by your truth, okay? So when we say the blessing, uh, who, when we say the blessing about God who sanctifies us by his commandments and commands us, we're following in the footsteps of Mashiach, who said, sanctify them by your word, and your word is truth. The word of God is obviously the Torah of God. 
So it says here, God never reneges on his word to reward those who serve him. How do we serve God? By following his Torah, by being obedient to his will, by following his word. You see how it all works in a circular design here? That he sanctifies us by his word. Meanwhile, we're obeying his word. He comes back and says, oh, by the way, I'm never going to renege on my my word to reward you for fulfilling my word. It's amazing. And it says here, preserver of kindness for thousands of generations. The kindness in this context refers to the good deeds of people, which God regards as if they had done him kindness. And even though the Torah requires them to perform such deeds, listen, whenever we are kind to someone or we do them a favor or we're just pleasant to them or we give them the benefit of the doubt or we, 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 uh, give them tzedakah, or, you know, we, we bring our tithes into the storehouse of the synagogue that we talked about yesterday. Whatever we're doing like that, we are, God says, it's like as you did it to me. I consider it as if you were doing that to me. It's like, how can I best serve God? How can I, how can I invite God into my home and serve him a good meal? Invite somebody over for Arab Shabbos. How can I invite God in and and give him something cool to drink. Invite somebody to sit with you at Oneg and give them uh, something nice to drink. Because if you've done that to them, you've done it to Hashem, which is why Yeshua said, if you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, it's as if you did it to me. It says he preserves those deeds for the benefit of their offspring so that newer less virtuous generations can be rewarded for the good deeds of their forebearers just as we constantly invoke the merit of the patriarchs. Now, this ought to give us pause as well. Because inasmuch as right now you are striving, prayerfully you are, striving to be a Lapidnik, striving to be a Lapid Jew, striving to be someone who is following the actual religious practice of Mashiach. You have to understand something. That what you're doing right now, and all the mitzvahs, and I could go through the long list of the ones that we do on a regular basis. Those mitzvot are benefiting right now, if Mashiach tarries, benefiting your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren, your great-great-great-grandchildren, and on and on and on and on. Your merit... God transfers, it's like a life insurance program. God transfers your merit to your next uh, next of kin. So we see that our following Torah is not about ourselves. So, people get disheartened. Well, you know, my family's not following me. I'm the only one. Maybe my husband's not doing it. Maybe my wife's not doing it. Whatever, whatever, whatever. I'm all by myself. God says, keep going. You know, I remember a guy one time who was all by himself, pretty much. His name was, what was his name? Abraham. He and his wife left. The family didn't follow. You know? He didn't have anybody with him except for Lot. And that wasn't a lot. God forgives... Three categories of sin, and each forgiveness is reckoned as a separate attribute. 
So he forgives iniquity, which is an intentional sin, which God forgives if the sinner repents. He forgives willful sin, which is sin that is committed with the intention of angering God. Wow. Sin that we commit and our desire is to anger God. God even forgives that. It says, even so serious a transgression will be forgiven with Teshuvah. I want you to reflect on God's mercy for just a moment. That when we commit sins and we do it intentionally to anger Him, to rebel against Him, that if we have sincere Teshuvah, God even forgives that. And sins that we do in error. It says, a sin committed out of apathy or carelessness. You know, apathy and carelessness is a sin too. My uh, Rebetzin is, is fond of saying that uh, that uh, naivety is a sin. Why? Because we're called to educate ourselves. We're called to be in the know. We can't just be apathetic and careless and naive and, uh, you know, because a lot of times that becomes a defense mechanism. It becomes a... Uh, an excuse, but God even forgives that. This too is a sin because it would not have been done if the perpetrator had truly felt the gravity of defying God's will. So we do, what we don't realize is when we're being apathetic, you know, like, like the old saying is that uh, delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. This is one of the reasons why the sages say that we should not delay to perform a mitzvah, but we should do so as soon as possible and with alacrity. Because if we are apathetic and careless and naive and whatever, then we are not realizing the gravity of defying God's will. For example, it says here, one may carelessly discard a match in his driveway. But he would never throw it into his child's crib, even if he thought the chances were very slight that it could start a fire. So we don't need to be throwing matches around, no matter what, right? And, and the 13th, he who cleanses. When someone repents, God cleanses his sin so that the effect of the sin is vanished. However, if one does not repent... He does not cleanse. According to Sforno, God cleanses fully those who repent out of love. Those who repent only out of fear of retribution receive only a partial cleansing. This is why we have to stir up within our own hearts the love of God. And you know what's interesting? Because we've said before, there are from time to time, it happens infrequently, but one is too many. So, But people who... Uh, come into this walk, they get enamored with the with Judaism, not not necessarily Hashem, not necessarily God's Torah, but with the culture of Judaism, which is uh, don't get me wrong. I mean, I I'm I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an Orthodox Jew, so I, I get it. You know, I understand, but I'm not going to throw the Messiah under the bus because I'm enamored with the culture, right? Of course, right. So I've said before. Do these people, did they ever, the people who deny Mashiach, 
after they've after he brought them to the party, you know, he go they go home with another man. Um, did they ever really know him? I think not, because how could you? I don't know. But maybe they knew him out of a sense of fear. Maybe they never achieved in their life knowing him out of a sense of love and sincere gratitude. I know the Mashiach out of a heart of love because I know, I just, I know me. And I, I know I know the dead me. And uh, sometimes I have to, you know, remember that. But some people, maybe they accepted the Messiah because they didn't want to go to hell, you know, uh, whatever. And so it's out of fear. And so it's just, it's not as powerful is my point. Just, just, just a thought as I'm reading this, thinking about what it says here, that God doesn't cleanse, he only cleanses partially those who, who repent out of a fear of retribution. So that we should strive that our teshuva should be a teshuva of love. So one final thing here. It says, uh, the above is how the sages interpret the phrase so that the first word who cleanses can be reckoned as the final attribute of mercy. Our translation follows a plain meaning. So the very final 13th stage of mercy is God's ability and willingness to cleanse. In the uh, 27th verse, and we'll just conclude with this this morning, Hashem said to Moses, write for yourself, for according to these words, have I sealed a covenant with you. It mentions here in the article, Chumash, I just want to point this out, the renewal of the covenant. But I want you to notice the words the art scroll uses. Renewal of the covenant. Since the Jewish people had abrogated the covenant by creating the golden calf, God instructed Moses to, listen to this, quote, to write a new covenant. But wait a minute. He didn't write a new covenant, did he? I mean, it really was the same Torah, wasn't it? Yes, it was. But it was new in the sense that it was renewed. I just want to point that out because many people read new and they don't understand that it's not something brand new. Moses did not go up because think about how ridiculous that is. Let's just use our logic and common sense for just a moment. Moses did not go up to God a second time and God did not say to him, you know, Moses, all that Torah stuff I gave you initially that you broke, I realize now it's a big mistake. I realize now I'm not even sure what I was thinking. You know what? Here are some brand new commandments. These ones will work better than the, than the last ones. Of course not. Why? Because the commandment wasn't the problem. It was the people. The people were the problem. So he said, I want you to write a new covenant. But actually, it's a renewed covenant. And that's what we have through Messiah Yeshua, who is our hope and our salvation. May he come soon in our time. End of our Aliyah today. Listen, have a beautiful day. Tomorrow, we're going to conclude our week with some thoughts about the um, the Omer, the seventh and the seventh day of Pesach, because this Friday is the seventh day of Pesach. It is a Sabbath. It is a Yom Tov. Tonight, I will be saying the blessing, uh, the Erev Tashlukan, that gives us the opportunity to cook on, thir- on uh, Friday rather for Sabbath. So just know that, believe that, and trust that. I will be doing that tonight. And uh, it's going to be a beautiful time. 
And do not remember what we talked about yesterday. Do not forget, rather. (laughs) Do not remember. Sorry. Do not forget what we spoke about yesterday. Are you tithing? And if you're not, then it's time to trust God. I want every single man, woman, and child, every single family in Sar Shalom, whether you're here locally or you live all over the country or you live all over the world, wherever you live, I want all of us together to change the universe by all of us being tithers. Tithers, 10% tithe. All of us. If you're not doing it, you haven't been doing it, now's the time. Trust God. Pray, just do it, step out of the boat, walk on the water, let's make it happen. Have a great, wonderful, amazing day. We will see everybody tomorrow. Shalom, shalom.